Hey, welcome to the Victory Family Church Podcast. Thanks for joining us today. Welcome. We are so glad you're here with us today for our Super Bowl game. What an awesome time this is going to be. We'll give you the ground rules here in just a moment as we get started. Again, we're excited that you're here, excited at the campuses, excited online as well. Again, thank you for joining us for our Super Bowl game. I'd like the teams to join me here in the middle of the field today. Gentlemen, I expect a good, clean game. Let's at least try to throw in a little bit of scripture. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Let's uh, see what we can do here. Hey, before we get started, though, I oh, just yeah. want to make sure that, you know, Pastor John, I just brought this cane. There's a lot of standing and sitting and walking, so I just thought oh, that would might help you out a little bit. You're going down, rookie. That was very yeah. nice of going down, That's rookie. right. That's probably worth some extra points right uh, well, there. Well, thank yeah. you. Hey, I'll take you. Put it on the board. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Drop you like a bad All right. boy. Yeah. All right, gentlemen, let's keep it clean today, okay? Let's try to keep it. I know. With this let's guy? Keep, yes. So here's the ground rules here. Four quarters, just like a regular game. There'll be four different topics. Each quarter, a brand new topic. Offense will have six minutes. Defense will have three minutes to come and minister the Word of God, all right? So we're going to do the coin cost here. We've got our very small commemorative coin here. And yes. uh, we're going to flip this. And uh, Nuzo, since you're the elder, we'll let you call it in the air. All right, you ready? Yes, sir. Okay. Heads. Oh, yeah. Whoa, 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 whoa. That's... Imagine that. John Nuzo won. Yeah, right. Oh, yeah. Hey. You all down, right. cooking. So, everybody ready to go? Yeah. Yep. All right. So, first quarter. Here's how the first quarter is going to go. Our first topic for this quarter is why do I keep making the same mistake? Why do I keep making the same mistake? And, of course, John Nuzo will go first. You know, it's a question I've been asking myself for 20 years of working with John Nuzo. All right. So, here he goes. You ready? Yes, sir. You ready to go? Come on. Get I'm, set. I'm in set, Ready. Baby. All right. Now, why do, why do you keep making the same mistakes? Number one, you're human, but Jesus gave you a really, really simple answer. He said, for the spirit of man is willing, but the flesh is weak. The weakness of, of being a human, is gonna, you're going to carry it with you the rest of your life. What I want to help you to do is to see how even the apostle Paul dealt with this struggle that we all have. Everybody in your heart, if you're wanting to walk with God, you want to live a life that pleases him. But you always have this other part of your life that seems to be pulling you in another direction. And if you're not careful, you'll think that it disqualifies you. But I want you to see just the opposite. Now, the Apostle Paul was one of the greatest men the church has ever known. Almost three quarters of the New Testament came out of his life and his ministry. Let me read you what he said about this very same thing. In Romans chapter 7, verse 21, he said, I have discovered this principle in life. That when I want to do what's right, I inevitably do what's wrong. Anybody found that principle? He said, I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that's still within my, my body. Oh, what a miserable person I am. That's the condition Paul felt. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Now, if he just stopped there, we'd be in trouble, but then he answered it. Thank God the answer is Jesus Christ, our Lord. What Paul was saying that as long as he lived on this earth, he was going to have this constant struggle. And what religion tries to make human beings do is to make yourself right with God, to identify yourself in your shortcomings or in your good works. And both of those will cause you to fall short. 
There's a new identity that you have to find when you come to give your life to Christ. In fact, when you give your life to Christ and you receive him as the savior of your life, a new identity is formed. Paul referred to that identity in Philippians chapter three. He said, I now find myself identified as in Christ. I no longer count on my own righteousness through doing good by obeying God's law. Rather, I have become righteous through faith that is in Christ. For God's way, now please get this, God's way of making us right with himself depends entirely upon trusting him. And what Paul was saying is that even though I feel like this miserable person, this battle raging, my right standing with God isn't based on that. It's based on the fact that a savior rescued me. There's a new identity that you find when you give your life to Christ. In 1934, there was a, a young African-American pastor from Atlanta, Georgia, and, and he had this dream to go to the Holy Land, and so he was able, in 1934, to be able to go over to the Holy Land. This young man's father was a pastor, and his grandfather was a pastor while still a slave. So he went to the trip to the Holy Land, and then on up to Germany, where there was a conference that was centered around the life of Martin Luther. Now, Martin Luther... Was, was a reformer. Martin Luther dealt with this very issue that every one of us faced, this miserable feeling of how can I ever be right with the holy God? Martin Luther, as a young man, battled with it so much. He was studying to be a lawyer, and he was from a very prominent family. But when Luther was in the midst of that, he came to a couple places in his life where he faced death. He was so terrified of dying, he made a vow that if God would spare his life, that he would become a monk. Now, monastic life was brutal, but Luther making this pledge followed through with it. At the age of 22, Luther entered in to the monastery. And see, Martin King, Mike King was there in that room where Luther bowed on his face and made that commitment. He, he, he heard all about his life and he learned about a man who became a reformer. And Martin Luther lived his whole life trying to earn God's salvation. And the more he worked, the further he got and the more misery, miserable he felt. And finally in scripture, he found the reality that you cannot make yourself right with God. And Martin Luther literally delivered human beings from the clutches of self-righteousness and religion into an intimate relationship with God. And this young man, Michael King, was so influenced by it, so impacted by it. When he went back to Atlanta, he changed his name to Martin Luther King. Changed his little boy's name, who was five, Michael, to Martin Luther King Jr. And when you realize that Martin Luther King Jr.'s grandfather was a slave, there was an identity being raised in the South beyond the heritage of slavery. But in the early 30s, it was unimaginably broken. It has been a ton of progress since. But then it was, and his identity would have been anything but someone who could change the world. But his father came back so inspired by the life of Luther that he changed their names. And Martin Luther King Jr. was raised in the mindset that you can make an impact with your life. If you can find your identity in Christ, if you can find your purpose in him, you not only will change your life, but you can change the world. And so when you think of who you are outside of Christ, you'll feel miserable. But when you find your purpose in him, you will step into a place where not only your own life changes, but God can use you like King Jr. to change the world. All right.
right. All right, young Sean Moore, you're up here. Uh, you know, I must admit the old guy did okay. Are you ready, Sean? It was better yeah. than I expected. Yeah, no. And he, he finished on time, which that never happens. All right, yeah. so, so you ready to go? You got to step up to it, all right? Ready. Three right. minutes of defense. Ready? All right. All right. Oftentimes when it comes to the mistakes and the habits or even sinful patterns in our lives, it's so easy for us to be preoccupied with those things that whenever we see things in us and coming out of us that, that we, we don't like, like this, like this darkened water, this is not iced tea, by the way, but you look at it and, and you just, we get preoccupied with what we don't want. Now, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to be battling this lust anymore. I don't want to talk that way to my family anymore. Man, I just seem to lose my, my temper. I just, I so don't want that. And every time it happens, we just, I just, I just so don't want this. And we get stuck in that pattern. But the word of God actually gives us the way out and the way through. In Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 and 17, it says, but I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. The desires of the flesh are against the spirit. The desires of the spirit are against the flesh for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. And I love how it starts off with this answer. It says, if you walk by the spirit, the issues of the flesh, you won't walk in them. You won't fulfill them. In other words, if you don't want to go west, hey, let's walk east. Walk by the spirit. And sometimes we get stuck on only resisting the bad that we don't want instead of replacing it with the good that God says he has freely given to us. And when I think about this, to illustrate it, as we're to walk by the Spirit, one of the primary ways we do that is we get the Word of God invested into our hearts, persuading our minds and our belief system. That whenever we position ourselves to receive the Word of God, and I, just, I so don't want this sin issue, I don't, but you start to invest the Word of God. To know I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Yes, I used to be bound by sin, but now sin shall have no dominion over me. And you begin to receive that into your heart and receive that into your life. All of a sudden, the Word of God starts to displace and replace what you tried to fight against before. When we receive the word of God, now, no, it may not happen as fast as this illustration literally just happened in a moment. But Romans chapter 12 says we are transformed by the renewing of your mind like the caterpillar to the butterfly. You won't even recognize you when you let the grace that's in God's ability and God's word do his work in you. As you abide in the truth, the truth will make you free. Amen. All right. Man, that was an awesome quarter right there. Even got a sermon illustration and everything. All right. Well, that's going to wrap up our first quarter. And I'm getting a score from our invisible set of judges here. The score for this quarter is John Nuzo, seven. Young Sean Moore, three. Which I'm not, even with a sermon illustration, I don't know. We're going to have to check on these judges. All right, seven, three. That wraps up the first quarter. All right, we are going to begin our second quarter. Our second quarter, same rules apply, six minutes on offense, three minutes on defense. And this quarter, 
Sean Moore will kick us off uh, with the first topic, with the topic of today. And this quarter's topic is, what do I do when I'm offended? What do I do when I'm offended? You ready to go, Sean? All right, Six minutes, ready? Yep. You know, when it comes to offense and things that that tend to, at at a mild level, at least get on our nerves, I I got a few areas uh, that I just got to vent on for just a moment. I think one that we can all relate with is traffic, right? Moments in traffic. In fact, just recently, the other day, uh, coming to church, man, there's, we're driving. In fact, we're driving a good 10 miles over the speed limit. So we're not just, you know, we're not going real slow or anything. We're going 10 miles per hour over. And here comes this person coming up behind us and just tailgating us saying, I want to go 30 miles over the speed limit, apparently. And of course, I just, I like to check and say, okay, is anyone dying? Do I see a pregnant woman in there, right? I mean, is there a legitimate emergency? And there almost never is. And so, and I like to give them the gift of, hey, this is how brakes work, you know, give a little demonstration, right? Or some passive aggressiveness that could sneak in there, right? Traffic, it's a, it's a source. Another one for me personally, if I can just air this for a moment. Uh, some of y'all, you pronounce Reese's, Reese's. And then you call it Reese's Pieces. Now that's got you mispronouncing the word pieces. And some of y'all, again, I know some, you're, you're going to be mad at me, but some of you guys call, call soft drinks or soda, you call it pop? Pop? Are we five? No, I, I, have, I, have, uh, no, I have objective evidence that soda is a more appropriate term than pop, all right? And I have good source. According to Wikipedia, in 1802 was the first usage in which soft drinks were called soda. The earliest known usage of it ever being called pop was 10 years later in 1812. So there you go. Let the record show soda rather than pop. Now, some of y'all Reese's pop people, I know I've got you on edge. You're ready to go to war over this. You're ready to fight, ready to throw down, right? And we haven't even mentioned, we're not even talking about politics. We're not even talking about the racial landscape of America. We're not talking about vaccines. We're talking about candy and carbonation right now. (laughs) But it's so easy for things to, hey, and we can feel the offense, we can feel the defensiveness, we can feel that kicking even over small and silly things that don't even matter. So how much more so when it's about a spouse? How much more so when it's about that ex-spouse or that teacher, that friend, that family member? And there's so many great opportunities to take offense. And what do we do when offense has taken hold in our hearts? How do we walk that out? Jesus gives us a picture of it. He does it through using a story, a parable, as he often did. And this is in Matthew chapter 18. Matthew 18, he gives this parable about how there's this master and his servant, this boss and his employee, if you will. And the master, the servant comes to the master and says, because he owes his master $20 million in today's currency. And so the master has called that, hey, it's time to pay up. And so the servant begs for forgiveness and hey, just give me some more time and I'll pay it all back. And, and so as he's begging for forgiveness, the master says to this servant, he says, listen, I have pity on you. I have compassion on you. So I'm going to cancel the $20 million debt. You don't owe me anything. You're free to go. Well, this forgiven servant 
now goes to a fellow servant. And this fellow servant owes the forgiven servant $2,000. And the forgiven servant goes to him and Jesus said he chokes him and he starts to demand payment back. So, you know, you owe me this $2,000. And so the, the servant said, well, can you give me some, some time to pay this? Give me more time. Have mercy on me. And he says, no. And he throws him into jail. He says, you're going to be in there until you pay the whole 2000 back. Well, the master then finds out about the fact that this occurred. And he calls in the, the servant he forgave and said, hey, I heard about this. I forgave you this $20 million. And you held this $2,000 debt over this fellow servant's head. You should have shown the same mercy and compassion that I showed you. So now you're going to be tortured. You're going to be thrown in prison until you pay back the 20 million to me. And it's such a picture. I mean, here's the big idea when it comes to offense that Jesus is trying to get across to us, which is that we must remember what we have been forgiven of. Because what does it sound like to a God who sent his son from heaven to earth to die on the cross for our sins and bring us into new life, canceling the record of wrongs that we had committed? That now we say, you know, because so-and-so did this to me, now I have grounds to hold on to this offense against me. And we say, yeah, but Pastor Sean, you don't know what happened to me. Yeah, and you've forgotten what God has done for you. Remember what you have been forgiven of. Because God didn't just forgive you a, a $2,000 debt. He didn't forgive you just a $20 million debt. He forgave you of an eternal debt that you can never, ever, ever, ever pay back. And so when we know that and we remind ourselves, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. God's forgiven me of something unpayable. That now empowers me to give to others what God has freely given to me. Amen. Awesome. Awesome job. Good job there, Sean. All right. That's a pretty strong beginning of the quarter there, Nuzo. You're going down, punk. Wait, wait, wait. Wait a You're second. You're going down, wait, wait, punk. Wait, wait, wait. Hey. What? What? Roughing the pastor yeah. with that. You can't do that. Oh, you can't talk the like pastor. that. That's right. You That's can't right. talk people like that. What's going on? What is this? Whoa. No, no, no. Oh, no. He can't challenge that. He can't challenge that. Hey, why don't you hold hands? That's, not <laughs> That's just wrong. You can't even spell nepotism. All, All right. right, so what are you talking about here? Yeah, Look, then move you know on what? then. We're if good. you're offended by this. Deeply offended. Then you should have listened to what was just spoken. It was hard because I was offended. Okay. The cane, the well, nepotism. Yeah, well, well, we'll enforce the penalty at the end of this quarter for him. John Newsar, have you got it together enough to continue? Deep breath. All right. Yeah, All right. Ready, John man. Nuzzo, three minutes to walk out. What do you do when you're offended? Drop Steve Moore as a friend, but that's all right. You know, um, <laughs> one of the most, one of the deepest struggles in forgiveness is this reality. People don't know what to do with the person after. And if you don't understand this part of it, actually trying to forgive somebody can become a trap to you could put you in a deeper hole than you started. Let me, let me explain is that some things that you forgive one another of, and by the way, forgiveness is always given. It doesn't matter the depth, the depth of the offense. But there is a reality that you're dealing with another human being. And some things are so difficult relationally afterwards. For example, there 
are people here that it's one thing if somebody was unkind to you or rude, but there are people that have experienced abuse at the hands of people. And very often they think, well, if I forgive that person, that means I have to give them unfettered access to my life. Listen to what Paul said about dealing with people. In Romans 12, he said, if possible, everybody say possible. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everybody. Well, sometimes it doesn't just depend on you. And I want to help you to understand what to do when you do forgive somebody. And that somebody that you've forgiven is somebody that has injured you in such a way that they're unsafe. Remember this forgiveness, which is given freely, does not require an ongoing relationship with somebody. You have to learn to respect the actions of people, not their rhetoric, not just their words. And I'm not talking about being petty. I'm talking about things that, because the reality is relationships are truly based on trust. It, it, you don't have a relationship, a strong one, that, that doesn't have trust at its root. And this is a simple principle in, in a small sentence that will help you navigate it. Forgiveness is freely given, but trust is earned. Let me say it again. Forgiveness you give freely, whether they deserve it or not, and they don't, and neither did I. So f- you freely give forgiveness, but trust in a relationship is earned. And when trust has been severely damaged... Boundaries are required. What do you mean by boundaries? Like distance between Steve Moore and I. That's a boundary. Unnecessary. We can work it out. But the reality of it is in some cases where the person has been so injurious to, they've injured you so deeply that you literally do have to create a boundary. You can forgive somebody and yet not give them access unfettered to your life. You know, forgiving people seems so difficult when when it is something so deeply wounding things that are life-altering to you but the reality the reality of, of forgiving people is that you're truly giving something that you've been given freely and when you when you when you truly forgive somebody you're the one that gets out of the prison not them and so when it comes to forgiveness i would suggest this simple statement that says when you're in a hole stop digging forgive the person If necessary, set a boundary, but always remember this, when you freely give forgiveness, when you freely give forgiveness, you're the prisoner that gets set free. All right. Must admit that was a strong quarter from both, both of them. And, uh, but I'm going to have to say with the enforcement of the penalty and then also news that was 13 seconds over. So keeping true to form, he went long, right? So, but that's going to wrap up this quarter. Again, two quarters, two great topics full of scripture for you today, but that's going to wrap up this quarter. So again, the score coming into me from our invisible set of judges enforcing that penalty is Sean Moore, 27, John Nuzo, 24. That's the end of the half. That's the end. We're at half. All right. Welcome to the second half. This uh, half will be exactly like the first, of course. You'll have six minutes of offense, three minutes of defense. And uh, beginning the second half, this time since John Nuzo led off the first half, Sean Moore will be heading off this second half in the third quarter. So our topic, the first topic that both of them will uh, discuss at this time is what or how, rather, how do I deal with the feelings of anxiety and fear as it relates to the culture of today. So how do I deal with the fear, the anxiety as it relates to the culture 
of today. So again, starting us off is going to be young Sean Moore. Sean Moore, you ready to go just to kick right. off the half here? You ready? We're good. We're good. All right, loosened up, refreshed after half? Yeah, yeah, it was good. I saw Pastor John napping Yeah, he took there. his nap back there. Yeah. That's good. All yeah. right, so you're ready to bring it. All right, All right here we go. You know, I think it's amazing, uh, of course, here living in western Pennsylvania, those of you even further north and northwestern PA, that there was a statistic that I saw that I think we can all attest to as the truth, that among the most, uh, you know, the populated cities within our nation, that the city of Pittsburgh is number four on the most cloudy days in the year. In fact, specifically... 203 days out of the year, there's 80% or more cloud coverage. Yeah. And of course, being in winter right now, we're in the midst of that. And so there's times within that where you just kind of wonder, is the sun really still there behind all of those clouds at different times? And I can remember the first time going flying on an airplane as a, as a kid. It was a lot of fun cool taking off, all that good stuff. But there's two big things that I really loved about it and it was really interesting that just stood out to me. The first is, of course, snacks. <laughs> they hand out all the different peanuts or whatever, and if you're fortunate, depending upon what airline you're on, my personal favorite are the Biscoff cookies. Come on, I'll take me some Biscoff cookies. But the second thing that stuck out to me is that uh, as we took off and we're going, and it was, a, it was a cloudy day that day as we were taking off, and we're going, going higher and higher. We're climbing and ascending. But as we part through the clouds, all of a sudden, oh man, it's just blinding light through there. And, and there's the sun. And I just had this very simple thought as, as a kid that so often to forget about. All of a sudden, I just remember, wait, wait a second. Dawn's on me. The sun is literally always shining. And I think it's so easy when we do look generally, universally, just around the world, around the culture, and we so often hear about this tragedy and this event, and there's this shooting, and there's this event, and there's this earthquake, and, and you see all these different things in the world around us, and it can be so overwhelming, or even the specific things that happen in our own lives to us on a personal level. I Man, it can be a wave of fear, a wave of anxiety, a wave of just feeling, I man, I'm just overwhelmed. I kind of almost burned out just knowing about all these things that are going on. And we can get so easily caught up in the clouds. And think about this for a second. It's always cloudy if you're low enough. But it's always sunny if you get up high enough. And in Colossians, it actually bears this out, encourages us in Colossians chapter three, verses one and two, Colossians three, one and two, it says, if then you have been raised with Christ, so you've given your life to Jesus, he's your savior, he's your Lord, you've been raised up with him, therefore seek the things that are where? Above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. It doesn't get any higher. Verse two says, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Can I tell you, as it relates to navigating life, the only way to get through it is to get above it. Amen. The only way to get through it is to get above it. That we need a heavenly perspective. 
Set your mind on things, not things. Why? Because so many people running around are just so, we get so consumed, don't we, with what's going on on the earth. And we live life through the perspective with our feet firmly planted upon the ground. I mean, I know what's going on and it's bad. And let me tell you about this stuff going on on this. It's so bad. This is bad. and That's bad. And oh, what are we going to do? What's going to happen to our kids? What's going to happen in the future? And we're consumed. And the clouds begin to cloud our perspective. And the earth gets bigger. It's like looking up at a skyscraper when you're standing on the ground. Like, oh my goodness, how overwhelming is all of this? Feet firmly planted upon the ground. Because again, if we're low enough, it's always cloudy. We get up high enough. It's always sunny. That when I start to set my mind upon things above, in other words, I'm gonna make God bigger in my mind. And I start to remind myself, wait a minute, wait, 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 wait. Who is our God? Who are we talking about? Wait a minute, wait. Are we just on, the, on our own trying to figure this out? And I want to see here in Isaiah chapter 40 gives us a heavenly perspective. No matter what you're walking through personally or what you see generally within the world around us, Isaiah chapter 40 verses 28 through 31 encourages us and says, Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God. He's the creator of the ends of the earth. He doesn't go faint or he doesn't grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. His power, he gives power to the faint. And to those that have no might, he increases their strength. And my phone just turned off. (laughs) Even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait or trust in the Lord, they renew their strength. They mount up with wings like eagles. That sounds like we're going up. That sounds like we're getting above. You can run and not get weary, walk and not faint. Why? Because when I'm on the earth, things look so big. When you get up above it and you magnify God bigger, I get a heavenly perspective. And the things that used to look so big and tall are now so small in light of the greatness of our God. What used to be over my head is now under my feet. Why? Because I'm not just going through it. I got above it. Amen. Wow, that's a strong start to the second half there, Nuzo. Did you get a good nap in? Because you're going to need it here. All yeah. right, you ready? He was two minutes late. I didn't see a flag, but that's what? okay. Sorry. He wasn't two minutes late. What are you nepotism. talking about? Two seconds. Nepotism. Nepotism. <laughs> nepotism. And nepotism. I have no idea what that man's talking about. All right. <laughs> John Nuzo up. Three minutes. You ready? Yes, sir. You know, when it comes to dealing with fear and anxiety in the culture, you'll hear people say, you know, I long for the good old days. But the fact of it is, there really weren't any good old days on planet Earth. It's always been fear and anxiety. It may be more palpable now because you have 24-7 news and you have people driving it down your throats for profit every day of your life. But uh, the good old days weren't that good because if you go back to those days, they were talking about the good old days. Every time, every generation says that. Jesus said something about this that, that we really need to understand that when you live on this planet, there's a certain reality that you need to embrace. Listen to what he said in John 16, 33. He said, I've told you all of this so that in trusting me, you will be unshakable, assured, and deeply at peace. In this godless world, you will continue to experience difficulties and trouble. How many of you know you don't have to pray for that scripture to happen? Jesus said that 
You can be deeply at peace when you trust in me. But in this godless world, you will continue to experience difficulties and trouble. But take heart. I've overcome and conquered this world for you. Jesus said, I've done something about it. He said, I'm not taking you out of it. But within it, when you trust me, I can bring you a peace that is beyond a human understanding. In essence, he said it this way. If you're living on earth, ready or not, trouble's coming. I've had people through the years say, ask me to pray for them. Will you pray that all my troubles will go away? I said, yeah, but I have to pray that you die. <laughs> because if you're going to live on the earth, and people say, well, you know, if I could, I just don't want to raise kids on this planet. It's the only one you got. In John 14, in verse 27, Jesus gives us the definition of what his peace looks like. He said this, peace I leave with you. Now listen to this. My peace I give to you. I do not give you peace in the manner in which the world gives it to you. There is a peace that comes from this world. And it's when there's the absence of difficulty or trouble. It's when everything's smooth. It's when there's, there's no turbulence in your life. That's the kind of peace that the world can give. But one, one phone call, one text message, one event, and that peace goes away. And Jesus said, in the midst of a world where you are going to be oppressed with trouble and tribulation, it's coming if you live here, that when you can walk with me, I will give you a peace that passes all understanding, the scripture said. I will give you a peace, listen, that will surround and encompass not just your heart, but your mind, where you can be vexed, where you can be tormented with depression. In the New Testament, when you walk with God, remember this, peace is not a feeling of serenity or the absence of conflict. Peace is a person. And that person lives in you, and greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world, and he will take you over. Amen. God bless you. <laughs> Not bad, old man, not bad. All right. We just kind of close our eyes at that 10 seconds to pass. But anyway, boy, what an awesome quarter that was. That's going to wrap up the third quarter. And I'm getting the score from our invisible set of judges here. Kind of sounds more like a basketball score. But anyway, it's uh, John Nuzo, 51. Sean Moore, 46. It's a close one. It's a close one. It's anybody's game. But that wraps up the third quarter. Hey, we are ready for the fourth quarter. Fourth quarter, final shot for both teams here. This topic of the fourth quarter is going to be, is there absolute truth? Is there such a thing as absolute truth? Leading us off this fourth quarter will be the elder statesman, John Nuzo. John Nuzo, you ready to go? Yes, sir. All right. Those you're moving a little slower here at this day. You okay? Fourth quarter, fourth baby. Fourth quarter. All right, fourth here quarter. we go. You know, one of the statements that you'll hear today made in the culture, it's probably one of the most ridiculous statements I've ever heard in my life is when people term my truth. Now, if you mean by my truth, my experience, that's it's totally valid, completely valid. But when you mean my truth, meaning my truth is different than your truth. In other words, truth is subjective. There is no such thing as absolute truth. That's kind of, in a, in a kind way, that's just, that's crazy. That's insanity. It's like getting up in the morning and having your own sunrise and picking what hour you think the sun comes up. It comes up when it comes up. So why do people hold on to my truth? Where did that come from? 
When you understand the source of where that comes from, I think you'll understand why it's so prevalent in the culture. And it didn't come from people. It didn't come from a political party. It didn't come from a, a, somebody's way of thinking. It came from a kingdom that wants to separate you from truth that will make you free. It's really, really, really important because in the new covenant, as a Christian, truth is not a perspective. It's not a point of view. It's not weaponized. Truth is a person. Listen to what Jesus said about himself. Terribly politically incorrect, but listen to what he said in John 14, 6. Jesus answered and said, I am the way. Very exclusive. I am the truth. And I am the life. And no one comes to my father except through me. Jesus said the fact that he was the way. Now listen, the truth and the life. And without him, no one can get to God. Well, why would that be? Why so exclusive? Because he would be the only one that would come and be born sinless and live a sinless life and have all of the punishment that was due you and me fall to him. So the truth, Jesus said, will actually make you free. Listen to what he said in John 8, 31. To the Jews who believed in him, Jesus said, if you will continue in my word, Jesus said of his words, my word is truth, not a truth, is truth. If you'll continue in my word, you will really be my followers or disciples. Then, then you will know the truth and then the truth will set you free. When you understand that in God's heart, truth is the mechanism to make people free, not a truth. A truth will put you in prison. Why? If the truth makes you free, then a lie will imprison you. And when people live within their own truth, Many times it will be, look, I don't accept the Bible. I don't accept God and all that stuff. I, I, don't, believe, I don't even believe in God. But the fact of it is, I, I, I differ with people who say that. When you look in the mirror, that's your God. You are your source of finality. You are the absolute of truth. Now, the reality of it is this. The older you get, the more stupid that is. Because the older you get, the more you realize, I really don't know. The younger you are, you can be more absolute. But why is it so devastating? Because if the truth is what makes you free and a culture can reject the source of freedom, then the, tr the culture remains trapped when God paid such a price to deliver you. But what does the truth set you free from? He went on to say in the same chapter, he replied and he said, I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. And that includes everybody. And now he tells you the difference and the, what happens when you're trapped as a slave in prison. Now, a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son or a daughter belongs to the family forever. Jesus said, the truth that I have will take you out of. The truth that I am will take you out of. The words that I speak are spirit, life, and truth. They will take you out of the imprisonment of this culture and world of an enemy that seeks to steal, kill, and destroy from you. And it will take you out of one family into another. When a person gives their life to the one who gave their life for them, he doesn't just erase your sin. He takes you from darkness into light, from, from death into life. And he transfers you into the family of God. So much so, Jesus said of you and me, I'm not ashamed to call you my brother and sister. 
The truth absolutely makes you free because truth in the New Testament, truth in the New Covenant, truth in a relationship with your Heavenly Father through Christ is not a perspective. It's not a political movement. Truth is a person. And the absolute truth who is Jesus came and gave his life and every word that he spoke was a word to produce freedom in your life. You know, in, when I think of my background in religion, I never saw God intimately caring about me at all. I didn't understand that aspect of his father heart. I saw him as a judge. But Jesus did, said, I didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but that through me the world might have life. And how many people see God as the source of their condemnation and their judgment? Yes, he judged me guilty. Yes, he judged you guilty and then he came and he bore the punishment that was due me for my guilt and he paid my debt. That is the truth that will make you free. Good job, good job. Man, way to finish strong there, Nuzo. That's pretty good. Amen. All right, young Sean Moore. It's time. All right. Last shot out of here, big boy. You ready? Yeah, this is okay, it. Okay, this yeah. is it. Time to bring that horse to the barn and put her to bed. All right? Okay. Yeah, you ready to go? I, I think. All right. So, yeah. three minutes, right? Yeah. Well, as Pastor John said, Jesus, as it relates to truth, made that claim about himself. He said, I am the way and I am the truth. I am the life and no one comes to the Father except through me. And oftentimes one of the things that seems like so often people can struggle with about, about Christianity, so to speak, following Jesus, is that f- feeling of exclusivity and that you guys have all the answers, you're all right, you, you've got kind of the, the corner on, on truth. And you see things like that Jesus says where he says that I, I am the truth, this is it. That I'm not just one among many other gods and there's many paths to get there. He says, I'm, I'm it. And the only way to God is, is through me. You may ask, like, why is it that he can make such an exclusive statement that relative to any other religion or other, other position or place in which you could find your way, if you will, to ultimate life? That Jesus and following him is the only path that has nothing to do with your performance. How good or bad, everything else, every other path gives you the list of rules, gives you the procedures, gives you the things that you gotta jump through to get to the place where you can finally get to God, you can finally reach self-actualization, you can finally achieve that eternal bliss. And the reason why Jesus said that is in Romans chapter three, verses 23 through 25. In Romans 3, 23 through 25, it says, everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. And if we're honest, we all fall short of not even just God's standard, but our own standard that we even have for ourselves. And then it continues and says, yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty that our sins deserve, which is eternal death, separation from God in a place called hell. It's what we deserved by our performance and by our behavior, but it didn't end there. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin and people are made right with God when they believe. Not when they're perfect, when they believe that Jesus was that sacrifice, sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. 
And in this moment right now, I want to lead us at every location into an opportunity to receive that. Would you would at every location and bow your heads, close your eyes, no one looking around, but just in this moment in prayer before the Lord. I want to give you an invitation to do what that verse just said, to believe upon Jesus, to receive the fact that he died for your sins and rose from the dead so you could have new life in him. This is not an invitation to become a better person. You can't earn this. this. This isn't, well, you know, I mean, I feel like I've done that because, you know, I went to church a bunch or I feel like I'm a pretty good person better than the rest. No, that's not what this is about either. If that made you right, you don't need Jesus. You just need your performance. You just need those religious observances and you're good. But God didn't send that. He sent himself to die for you. What have you done with Jesus? But maybe you're on the other side of that coin and say, man, I feel, I, I so do not deserve, I'm surprised that, the, that at whatever location I walked into today, that the building didn't fall in because I, man, me at church, I, I can't possibly qualify for that. And the reality is because he did it for you, it's not about your even poor performance. Jesus was perfect for you so that you could receive his record of perfect obedience before God and now you can become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So now wherever you fall, if you don't know that you've received Jesus as your Savior and Lord, right now we want to pray a prayer out loud together with you at every location, no matter where you are. But first, I want to give you a chance to acknowledge before God by lifting up your hand on the count of three at every location to say, Jesus, I respond to your invitation and I choose you today. On the count of three, if that's you, you know you need to do that and you haven't. Go ahead and lift up your hand. One. Two, three, lift it up high for a moment. Put it right, God bless you, I see it. God bless you, I see it. Put it right back down, lift it up for a moment. Every location, the pastors, campus pastors are there to see you and acknowledging you. And more than that, God sees you. He sees your response. He sees your heart. If you haven't already, lift it up for a second before the Lord and say, Jesus, I choose you today and put it right back down. And man, we are so excited for you. And we all wanna pray this prayer out loud together with you, no matter where you are, what location that you're at. Just repeat this out loud where your own ears can hear it. Most importantly, don't just make it a, re a repetition thing. Mean it from your heart as you say it after me. Say, dear heavenly father, thank you for Jesus. I believe he is the son of God. He died on a cross for my sins and he rose from the dead so I could have new life. Jesus, I confess you as my Savior and my Lord. And I turn from my sin and I turn to you. And I am now a child of God and heaven is my home. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, let's celebrate with everybody today. You made that decision. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Victory Family Church. If you enjoyed listening, please take a moment to rate, review, and share. For more resources, including locations and service times, please visit lifeatvictory.com.